So during this month of January, our theme is when faith grows cold. If you were here on Wednesday, you, may, you heard my chapel of introduction to that. And we're looking at uh, what happens when faith grows cold as a result of three different things. Tonight, we're going to look at heart issues. What happens when faith grows cold because of how we feel about something? Next week, we'll look at what we're calling hands issues, that is the living out of faith. What happens to our faith when people who are supposed to be Christians don't seem to be living like Christians? And then the third week, we'll talk about head issues, the intellectual questions and doubts that may come up that may cause faith to grow cold. It's important to know that with all of these categories, these are not new things. It's not like we sat around the campus ministry staff meeting and said, you know what I just thought of? People have issues with hypocrisy. What? <laughs> some people on this campus have doubts. No. I think some people are really carrying some heavy burdens. What? No. These things are ancient. They are old and deep problems. But the temptation is, particularly within a Christian community, if we find ourselves in one or more of these camps when we're having some doubts, when we're having some struggles, it can be really hard to know how to talk about it. It can be really hard to say, this is what I'm experiencing, and know that someone else is going to receive that with grace and not judge you for being less than. Well, I thought you were a Christian, but I don't really know now. So we're, we're just blowing that out of the water. And we're saying these are things every Christian is going to deal with at some point. And these are things that your Christian friends, your church members, your future spouse, children, aunts, uncles, parents, grand, all the all people are going to deal with that sometimes. So we're going to actually talk about these things to give us some handholds for how do we navigate, how do we get through them. So it's important that what we're going to try to do in, in worship, both at Loft and at Chapel, is we're going to try and diagnose what's happening in these situations. We're going to talk how do we respond to it, how do we help each other through it. And so those are some of the things that we're doing together, all right? We're doing those things together. And tonight we're looking at heart. We're looking at heart issues. And this, too, has been going on ever since people started to call on the name of the Lord and try to figure out who is this and what is he up to. And a lot of times they wrote down how they were feeling. And sometimes these things were collected together and we have a whole book of songs which talk about how people feel and think about God. This book is called the Book of Psalms. It's a book in the middle of the Bible. And we're gonna look at one of those psalms today, one of those songs is Psalm 42. And you'll want to leave your Bibles open because we'll kind of be walking through this together tonight. Psalm 42 on page 447. Page 447, the black books in the Bibles, in the pews are the Bibles. Uh, if you need a Bible, take one. That's perfectly fine with us. Page 447, Psalm 42. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. 
When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where's your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. This is the word of the Lord. So as we read through this psalm, you have a sense of somebody who is in turmoil. You have a sense of somebody who is in pain. We don't know the exact circumstances of the psalm, which I think is kind of good, because it allows us to see our own stuff in the psalm. The psalm then has a one-size-fits-all quality to it. It doesn't matter the particular details of what he went through or she went through or what you're going through. There's a commonality of language that's really beautiful and necessary and poignant and deep that comes through this psalm. And as we see, as we'll go through this psalm, he, he talks about different things that can make your heart go cold. And uh, to track them together, there, there are four S's, all right? I don't do this very often, but this is, is kind of how it's working tonight. So the first thing, the first heart issue that can cause faith to go cold is suffering. Suffering. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? I think for those of us who have encountered deep suffering, we know exactly what he's talking about when the tears just keep coming and coming and coming and you kind of take that breath and you calm down for a little while and then you remember what happens and you start crying all over again. Some of us have gone through seasons in our life when we could not be more than an arm's length away from a box of Kleenex. Some of us have cried into our pillows and made them wet. Some of us, our safest place to cry is in the car. We know what he's talking about when he says, my tears have been my food day and night. And suffering can cause our faith to grow cold 
Because when we suffer in this life, it causes us to ask big questions about who this God is. If we grew up being taught that God is a God of love, that God is all-powerful, that God cares for you, that God numbers the hairs on your head, we think that's lovely. But then when crap happens in our lives, something horrible happens to us, we think, really? Is that really who God is? And if we believe that he's the one who's in charge of all this stuff, then why did he let this thing happen to me? If you say that he's all good and all powerful and all loving, why does this thing happen in the world? Suffering isn't just personal. Hopefully, when we look at the world and the deep suffering around us, it causes us to ask really big questions about God. Who is he? Is this stuff that we have been taught about God real? And people have been writing about the intersection of suffering and the Christian faith for generations. Because even though we know that following Jesus does not make us immune from suffering, because if it did, boy, everybody would be a Christian. Even though we know in our heads that we're not immune from suffering, that suffering can hit us just as much as it can hit anybody else, it's a different thing to feel it, think it up here than it is to feel it in here. When you're going through it, you don't need anybody to tell you, well, you know, everybody suffers. You know, you're not immune just because you follow Jesus. Not helpful. Don't say that to people. When you're suffering, you want somebody to sit with you and pass you the Kleenex. You don't need right then somebody to articulate for you a really good theology of suffering. Maybe six months later, maybe a year later, you might be interested in that. Maybe eventually you write a paper on it, but not right now. <laughs> when you're suffering, you want somebody to sit with you and say, with you, Where's God? Suffering can make our hearts, our faith, grow cold. The next thing that the psalmist talks about is sloth. And you're like, really? I didn't see that in there at all. That's that animal with the three toes moves very slowly. <laughs> no. Sloth is actually one of the seven deadly sins. Centuries ago, the church came up with a list of sins and said, if your life is going to be vibrant in the Lord, you have to be really aware of these seven things and avoid them at all costs. And they are pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, lust. Peaceoggle. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, lust. And sloth doesn't mean laziness. Laziness can be the fruit of sloth, but so can workaholism. Sloth says, I don't really care enough about this relationship to do the things I'm supposed to do to keep the relationship going. So with a friendship, sloth is like this. I don't want to text her back. 
I don't really care enough to text her back. Sloth is, I know it's my turn to clean the bathroom, but I don't really care enough about my roommates to do that. Anti-sloth is, I will get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and drive my roommate to the airport so she can go on the Jamaica interim even though I'm staying here in the sturdiness and 14 degrees. (laughs) That's anti-sloth. That's saying, I will do what it takes to maintain and improve and invest in this relationship. Sloth says, meh. And when it comes to the spiritual life, it gets manifest in things like this. Hey, it's a community partnership coordination night tonight, and we're all going to go down, and we tutor, and uh, one of the kids is having a birthday, and he's never had a birthday party, so we're throwing him a birthday party tonight. Do you want to come? Meh. Hey, over break, I read this amazing book about Jesus, and it's really short, And so a bunch of us are getting together over interim, and we're going to just read it together and talk about it together, and I can't wait to tell you how this has helped my faith. Meh. We're going to go to Friday Chapel together, and we're all going to wear our floor shirts, and we're all going to stand in the same place together, and we wanted you to be sure to know so that you could come and do this with us. Meh. See, sloth says, I know I'm supposed to be investing in this relationship, whatever, I don't really care, meh. And so in the psalm, you see him remembering what he used to be able to do. These things I remember. How I went with the throng, I led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. He's looking at these things that he used to be able to do, and he just can't summon up the energy to do them. There's There's a cast of sloth over that, just like, ugh, I know I should, but ugh. Sloth. And sometimes it's just a heaviness. Sometimes it's temporary. Sometimes you can just feel like, I don't know what's going on, but I just don't, I just don't feel right. I just don't want to do the things that I normally do that strengthen my faith. I'm just, oh, that's sloth. Sloth. And it can make your faith grow cold because you're not doing anything to keep it hot. So suffering, sloth. The next thing, turn the page, verse 9. The next thing is silence. When God is silent. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? Some of us can have rhythms of spiritual practice built up in our life where we we go to chapel and church and loft. We have a devotional book we're working through. We have morning prayers. We're reading scripture. We're in small groups. We're serving. We're giving. We're doing all the things. And it used to be that we would read a devotional book and there would be something that would just pop. Or we would hear a sermon and it would be like, yep, I got to think about that. 
or there would be a line and a song that we would sing that would just, oh yeah, I need that. I need to remember that. And we just could tell that God was talking. He was communicating to us in all these different ways. And then we started to realize, like, silence. And we thought, is it me? Like, am I doing something wrong? Am I not praying the right things? Is there a way to, like... And so we thought, maybe if I just try harder. Or maybe you've been pleading with God about a particular issue. You've been pleading with him to heal someone. You get nothing. You've been pleading for some financial relief. Nothing. You've been pleading for him, for someone you love, to finally make the turn toward faith, become curious about Jesus, want to know what gives you hope. You've been pleading and pleading with God for years about this person, and you hear just nothing. And it's really tempting to think, well, this must only happen to, you know, new Christians or people who aren't very good at this whole Christian thing. But the truth is, this happens a lot. And it often happens to people who are deep in faith and have been Christians for a long time. And in fact, it happens so often, it has a name. It's called the dark night of the soul. And if you were to go and Google that, you would have lots of resources that would come up. St. John of the Cross was the first one who came up with the idea, like, let's name this. This is a dark night of the soul. And in much more contemporary terms, someone who was a very popular, famous, well-known Christian, after she died, it was revealed that she had a decades-long experience of God's silence. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, the one that's like, every one of us has heard a sermon that held up Mother Teresa or, you know, did the comparison between Mother Teresa and pick somebody. I was going to say someone not appropriate. (laughs) Anymore. Mother Teresa and a person who has really poor values, right? Like, we held her up. She was it. If you wanted to see a Christian who was doing the Christian thing, Mother Teresa. After she dies, her writings are collected, including the letters that she sent back and forth to her priest and her bishop, the people who guarded her soul, the people with whom she was completely transparent. And to one of them, she wrote this, There's so much contradiction in my soul, such deep longing for God, so deep that it's painful, a suffering continual, and yet I feel not wanted by God, repulsed, empty, no faith, no love, no zeal. Souls hold no attraction. Heaven means nothing. To me, it looks like an empty place. The thought of it means nothing to me, and yet this torturing longing for God is unceasing. In other places, she talks about it as feeling abandoned by God, that she's in darkness, that she has deep loneliness. 
And if you or someone you love goes through a season like this, it's incredibly hard because there's nothing you can do to fix it. And it looks sometimes, our response to it can often look like depression because the source from which we get light and life and energy seems to have dried up. And we just get stuck and we're just not quite sure and it can be devastating. Silence. So suffering, sloth, silence. And then the fourth thing, which isn't explicitly named in this psalm, but is named in many of the other ones, is sin. Sin can cause our faith to grow cold. If we've got sin in our lives that we are not particularly interested in giving up, we don't really want to hang out with God very much. It's like if you're working a shift and you know that the next person your boss sees, she's going to ask to clean the bathrooms. You spend your whole shift like ducking around corners, looking around the shelves, like avoiding the boss at all costs. Because you know if she sees you, she's going to be like, you're cleaning the bathrooms. You don't want to clean the bathrooms. If, if we've got something in our lives that we're not too interested in having God pay attention to, we avoid him. Because we know the next time we see him, he's going to be like, um, that lie you told your mom? We got to talk about that. Or that binge drinking you've been doing on the weekend that you say isn't a problem? It's a problem. Or the way you're treating that person on your floor, you know the person, the person who's high maintenance, the person who's hard to deal with, the person that you've kind of colluded with, there with people on your floor to treat a particular way. We gotta talk about that. See, if we've got stuff in our lives that we just as soon keep in our lives, and we know that if we bring it to God, he's gonna be like, give me that, give me that right now, put that down. <laughs> and we're like, eh. Right? We just avoid him. And that can make our faith grow cold because the farther we distance ourselves from God and the deeper we go into sin, the less it seems like that worshiping of God thing makes any sense at all. I'd much rather live my own life, thank you very much. So these are the things that can make our hearts grow cold, suffering, sloth, silence, sin. What do we do about this? All right, we've diagnosed it. We can see ourselves in some of them. What do we do now? Well, thankfully, the psalmist also gives us ways to respond. And the acronym here is RHT, which for some reason I thought of as really hot tamales. I don't know why, but it's a way you're going to remember it. So when faith grows cold, really hot tamales, think about it. The first thing the psalmist does is remember. Remember, you look at verse four, first he remembers what he used to do. It doesn't really get him anywhere. It's a bit problematic, because that's about him. But at the end of verse five, he says, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you, God. 
from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. These are from the river to the big mountain to the little mountains. I remember you. I remember how you show up. I remember what you do. I remember who you are, God. Remembering is a key point in the life of faith. When we have communion, we say take, eat, remember, and believe. Remembering is a key part of faith. That's why we keep doing this week in and week out, day after day, because it's not like we get the gospel message and it seeps right in and we go, I'm good now. I'm good. It's because our souls are like a sieve and the gospel gets poured in and the gospel leaks out and more gospel gets leaks out like that. So we have to just keep putting it in. And eventually, hopefully, the Holy Spirit closes up more and more of the holes and we kind of retain more. But remembering is such a key part of faith. That's why we come to worship, to remember the stories. When Mother Teresa was in her dark night of the soul, she kept going to Mass every day. She prayed with her sisters every day. She sang the Psalms every day. She cleaned up after lepers every day. And the rhythms of her remembering sustained her. When you read through this, there's this turn where she talks about her deep pain, but she ends by saying this, pray for me, please, that I keep smiling at him, Jesus, in spite of everything. For I am only his, so he has every right over me. I am perfectly happy to be nobody even to God. The only way you get to the point where you can say that is if you are constantly exposed to the grace of God, constantly called back to the sacraments. And she tells this funny story. She was kind of funny. I remember some time ago, a very big group of professors came from the United States and they asked, tell us something that will help us. And I said, smile at each other. I must have said it in a very serious way, I suppose, and so one of them asked me, are you married? I think, did this guy know nothing about nuns? But anyway, (laughs) I don't. Are you married? And I said, yes. And I sometimes find it very difficult to smile at Jesus because he can be very demanding. She remembered what Jesus had done for her, and that sustained her through decades of spiritual pain. Remembering is what the church needs to do. Remembering is what each of us needs to do. You look back on your life and you say, I've gone through suffering before. I've gone through silence before. I've dealt with sloth before. I've faced my sin before, and God was with me then, and I know he will be, me, be with me through this. And this gets easier the longer you live. Right now, you only have 18, 19, 20, 21 years of experience of what it's like to live with God. When you get to be 47, you have a few more years to look back on and go, oh, that's right. Oh, and he took me through that. Oh, and he took me through that. 
Oh, you got me through that. All right. Remembering helps us build resilience when it comes to faith. And a resilient faith is a faith that survives even if it goes cold. Remembering leads to resilience. So, really hot tamales. The hot is hope. Hope. He does this like self-talk, right? So he kind of goes back and forth between like uh, talking to God and then he does one of these like to himself moments. It reminded me of um, one of the flashback episodes of Friends when Ross is going to talk to Rachel for the first time and he turns around and goes, be cool, Ross, be cool. And then he turns around and he talks to Rachel. That, I just was, that kept coming to mind. I know, I'm weird. <laughs> but it's this self-talk, it's this turn away. It's just like hope in God. Hope in God. I will again praise him, my help and my God. Hope in God. And when he's saying hope in God, he's saying don't hope in the other things. Don't place your hope in the idea that your circumstances will definitely get better. Don't place your hope in your own ability to revive a connection with God. Don't place your hopes for your future in your GPA, in your athleticism, in your musicianship, in your ability to make good choices. Don't place your hope in things that will fail you. So he says to himself, hope in God. If you were with us last semester, we walked through the book of Revelation together, and we learned that one of the big gifts in the book of Revelation to a church that was suffering was that it gave them hope. It said, you may be being persecuted now. The empire is evil now. There are things that you need to stand up against now, but it will not always be this way. And Jesus says, the day will come where there will be no more mourning or crying or sadness or pain. All those things will have passed away. There will be no more suffering or sloth or silence or sin. All those things will have passed away, and that is where we put our hope. And that's the hope that sustains us. Not hope that someday... I'll get better. Not hope that someday this relationship will be resolved. Not hope that someday this, but hope in God. Really? Hot. Tamales. Talk. Verse 9. He talks To God, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? One of the big temptations when we are dealing with suffering or silence or sloth or sin, one of the big temptations here is to stop talking to God. I'm mad at him, I'm not going to talk to him. He's not talking to me, I'm not going to talk to him. The Psalms instead are full of people who not only talk to God, But they really grab God by the lapels and pull him in close and say, what are you doing in my life? What are you up to right here? Why is this so painful? How long is this going to last? I don't know who you are anymore. 
Imagine if we had a prayer litany that went something like that. That's the Psalms. The Psalms say when you're in a space where God seems far away, tell him. When your heart is broken and you don't know how you're going to do it, tell him. When your tears have been your food day and night, tell him. Grab him by the lapels, pull him close, and tell him what it's like to be you. Talk to God. And talk to other people. This author of this psalm talked to other people. You know how we know that, even though it's not in the psalm? Because we have the psalm. He wrote this down, and he showed it to a friend, and the friend said, I had no idea you were feeling that way. I will walk with you. I will be with you. How can I help you? He showed it to somebody else who said, that's exactly how I feel. Wow, you have just captured exactly what I have felt. And that person passed it on to somebody else, and that person passed it on to somebody else. It was set to music, and they begin to sing it because more and more people said, yes, this is how it feels sometimes. And we're going to be honest about that, not just with God, but also with each other. So when we say talk to each other, we're not saying you have to, like, you know, go to dorm worship and give your testimony about how miserable you're feeling and how much you hate God. But you should tell someone. You should tell a best friend. You should tell an RA, a Barnabas, me, one of the pastors. Get it out there. Voice it. Because you'll find that there are more people who get it and there are people who are farther down the path than you who can help you navigate through it. Remember, hope, talk. So the beauty of this psalm is not just that it very clearly diagnoses some of the issues we can have in our hearts. And the beauty of this psalm is not the really hot tamales, the remember, hope, and talk response that we can give when our hearts are breaking. The beautiful part of this psalm is not what we do. It's what God does. You see, there's a central verse in this psalm. It's like the hinge verse. Everything else in the psalm is not possible without that verse. And it's verse 8. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. We've been zoomed in on the pain of the psalmist, and he takes it and he zooms it out, and he says, but I know that this is the God of my life we're dealing with. I know that God's steadfast love is in every moment of my day. I know that his night song is with me in every breath. I know. This is the prayer to the God of my life, not the God of this particular Tuesday, not the God of freshman year, not only the God of suffering or silence or sloth or sin, but the God of the whole life. So he zooms out and he says, I know that my experience of God in this moment is not the whole of God. 
We need to understand that our experiences of God in a moment are not the whole of God. So when we say things like, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good, we are not saying, my experience of good is go- God is good all the time. All the time, my experience of God is good. Because it's not. What we are saying is that God is good regardless of my experience of him. It's like if I were to say, my eyes are green all the time, all the time, my eyes are green, and you would say, well, right now they appear to be a bit more blue. doesn't matter how you experience the color of my eyes. They are green. It's the same thing with God. He is good all the time regardless of how we are experiencing him in the moment which is why we have to remember and hope and talk because that allows us to zoom out and remember that this is a prayer to the God of our lives. The whole thing. And he is good all the time. When I was a church pastor here in town, I had a young man in our youth group who developed a deep compassion for homeless people. And he began to volunteer very regularly at a few of the shelters downtown. And he came to his parents and he said, I would really like to spend the night under the bridge. Now, for those of you who don't know, down by the river, under the bridge, that's where a number of homeless people will gather. And his parents were not too keen on this idea because uh, there have been reports of violence under the bridge, it was not a particularly good season to stay outside. They, they weren't at all convinced that this was a good idea, but he kept asking and asking and asking, and so they said, okay. And so one evening he walked from his home in East Town down to the river, and he stayed the night under the bridge with other homeless people, And when the sun came up, he walked all the way back home and got home dirty and exhausted. What he did not know, and what he may not know to this day, is that his father followed him all the way to the bridge, was out of sight all night watching his son. And when his son got up and walked back home, his father walked behind him. And then his dad, who had been up all night, went to work. Did his son have any idea that his dad was around? No. Did he have times when he was probably walking to the bridge thinking, I don't know if this is such a great idea? Probably. Did he have times in the middle of the night when he was scared? Probably. Was he ever alone? No. By the day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night, his song is with you. There is not a moment in your life whether it is a season of suffering or silence 
or sloth or sin. There is not a moment in your life where God is not present. There is not a moment in your life in which God is not doing in you exactly what he needs to have done. There is not a moment in your life when you have been left forsaken by this God. Because the promise he gives again and again and again is do not be afraid for I am with you always. Jesus says to us in a promise that is so true, each of us has lived it, in this world you will have trouble, suffering, sorrow, heartache. But that's not all, Jesus says. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. When our faith grows cold, our God does not 